Yes, sir. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are listening from and when you are listening. This is the voice of A.B. Melchizedek, your servant, serving you all the way from the UK today. Um, we've kick-started this season, and we said we are going to be looking at the themes of righteousness, uh, holiness, good works. And we are in faithfulness to that promised theme, adhering to righteousness at the moment. We looked at what justification by faith is. In the first episode, second episode, we episode rather, we looked at why justification by faith is. And today we will be looking at who justification by faith is for. Who is justification by faith for? Uh, again, if um, this is the first episode you are listening to, I highly recommend uh, you listen to uh, you start from the very beginning in terms of your listening and like I said I'm not advocating this so that I can rack up listens or anything it's because there is some degree of intelligence to how everything is structured you know as the Bible says precept upon precept line upon line so we are trying to there are certain things we are building on or we've been building on for the first two seasons. So if this is your first season or if, it's if, if this is the first episode you are listening to, you will not have had the benefit of knowing the foundation upon which we are building. You know, I mean, if, if again... Um, depends on your degree of familiarity with doctrines of the scripture and the christian faith and all of that but if you are somebody who is curious about the christian faith or new to it and to discover what it's about or if you grapple with this issue of christianity being about rules and regulations i honestly would suggest you listen from the beginning or at the very worst you start from the beginning of last season because that's where we started looking at the nitty-gritty of rules and regulation um and whether uh, the bible uh, or the gospel is that really you know so i mean enough of chat let's get to the business of the day who is justification by faith for Luke 18th chapter 9 to 14 verse 9th to 14 verse 18th chapter of Luke 9 to 14 verse Also he, that is Jesus, spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now it says, this man went to his house justified. And in the entire four Gospels, that is the only person Scripture says was justified. You know, I mean, uh, Jesus told the sinful woman, your faith has saved you. So, of course, you see there was some degree of salvation by faith there, but the word justified. Now, you know, this ties into what we discussed earlier, that a person to be justified, you must be conscious that there is some degree of wrongdoing. If you've done nothing wrong, there's nothing to be justified from. So this guy, the tax collector in this story, he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. So he threw himself at the mercy of God and he recognized he had something or he had done something wrong that he needed to be justified from. So the first person we can see who justification is for is somebody who realizes he has no righteousness of his own. He has no righteousness of his own, just like this tax collector here. Romans 4 verse 5. Romans 4 verse 5. Oh, man, I may start a bit. Um... Yeah, let's 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 go with. Um... Uh, let's do three to five. Let's do three to five. Romans four, three to five. <sighs> let's do one to five. Sorry. It says, "What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found?" according to the flesh for if abraham was justified by works he has something to boast about but not before god for what does the scripture say abraham believed god and it was accounted to him for righteousness now to him who walks the wages are not counted as grace but as debt but to him who does not walk but believes on him who justifies the ungodly his faith is accounted for righteousness. So why does somebody not walk for righteousness? Because he recognizes he cannot attain it. You remember Romans 9, 30, I believe it's 31 or 30 to 31. Romans 9, 30 to 31. Let me just read this. This is the plan to go here, but what do we do? Uh, Romans 9. Is verse, verse 30. 
Yeah, that's it, that's the one. It says, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. So you see, if you walk for righteousness, you are not far from stumbling. The law is a stumbling block to righteousness, not a pathway to it. It's just by the doing of the law, no man will be justified. So, the person who will be justified by faith has to recognize he has no righteousness at all. There's a reason all have sinned and all are guilty before God and none is righteous. There's a reason for that. And the person who will be justified by faith has to recognize that. That's why it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the power of God, unto salvation for them that believe. For daring is the righteousness of God revealed. So it's the righteousness of God that is revealed in the gospel, not the righteousness of man. So the gospel is all man has to cling on to. You know, another thing, another reason why it's like this, and again, I think this is what we omitted to discuss in the last episode, but another reason why it has to be justification by faith is that if it was not by faith, then there would be room for boasting. You know, some people will be more qualified than others by virtue of their work, quote-unquote. But God says, look, if there is, if there are no works involved, there cannot be boasting. So that's why uh, the Romans 4, we read verse 2, it said, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. So if this thing was any way other than by faith in God, then we as believers, we will be justified to compete among ourselves as to who is more holy. We will be justified in looking at the world as trash and nonsense because we are better than they are. Did you notice that even in the parable we read in Luke 18, 9, Jesus spoke this parable to who? He spoke to a people who, um, he said, they believed they were righteous and despised others. So the moment you believe in your own righteousness, a natural consequence is you despise every other person who believed they were righteous and despised others. So he didn't say who were righteous. He said who believed they were righteous. Why? Because there is none righteous. Romans 3.27, it says, Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Works? No but by the law of faith. Ephesians 2, I strongly believe is um, 8 or 9. I think it's 9. It says, By grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. It is the gift of God, lest any should boast. 
So God sets that bar of righteousness very high such that anybody who comes to him has no choice but to look to him. Isaiah says, look unto me, ends of the earth, and be saved. So that bar is only scaled by relying of the, on the work of Jesus Christ who scaled it. Again, Jesus said, uh, John came in the way of righteousness. Matthew 21, 32. Matthew 21, 32. He told the um, Pharisees, he said, look, John came in the way of righteousness. John came in the way of righteousness. Matthew 21, verse 32. And what was John's message? John's message was Christ. Mark 1, 1 to 3. Mark 1, 1 to 3. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written. Sorry, I just need to mute this call one second. Ah, not now, sorry. Oh my goodness. Okay. Sorry about that. Uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. And he was fulfilling the ministry prophesied on him uh, in Mark 3 verse 1. If you look at John 1, 22 to 23, when the Pharisees, I believe, Asked him, who are you? He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. You know, so John's message was Christ. That was the entirety of his message. His message was a Christocentric one. So much so that if you look at John 1.37, John 1.37, it says, the true disciples heard him, let's start from 35. He said, again, the next day, John took, uh, John stood, rather, with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to him, what do you seek? What do you seek? Yeah, so, sorry, where I was going, I'm sorry, the phone call um, disoriented me a bit, but yeah, I'm back, I'm back with you now, don't worry, have no fear. 
Uh, where I was going is John 1 37. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. They heard John speak, they followed Jesus. They heard John speak, they followed Jesus. And as in this light, John said, I must decrease, but Jesus must increase. I must decrease, but he must increase. John 3.30 So, what is this long story about? This long story is to show you that a Christocentric message was the way of righteousness. Therefore, it is the person who comes to Jesus Christ that can be justified by faith. There is no other way. Acts 4.12, I believe. He said, there is um, no other name given under heaven whereby men may be saved. Let me just fact check that reference. Yeah, 412. There is no other name given under heaven whereby men may be saved. So it is the person who comes to Jesus. So no matter how good intention somebody is, and i mean yeah we if you grapple with this I, that's why i highly recommend you listen to all our earlier episodes we've discussed this so no matter how good or how well intentioned somebody is it is the person who comes to jesus christ that is justified you have to come you have to come you have to come you have to come for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed, God has given, the sacrifice is effective, but it's whosoever believes that receives it. You have to come to Jesus. Remember Isaiah 53, 11, it is through his knowledge that the righteous servant justifies said, by his knowledge, my righteous servant would justify many. It's through his knowledge, the knowledge of Jesus, that justification can flow. Jesus is God's only way for justifying man. And again, somebody says, look, is this not narrow-minded? How can you say it's just uh, one way? There's only one way? Come on, what do you mean? I ask you this question. If... For example, and I realize by the time, you know, we are list you are listening to this, this reference may not make much sense, but we are currently facing a COVID-19 pandemic, coronavirus at this time. If you hear that there has been a scientific breakthrough and there is a miracle drug that cures COVID-19. We are not talking vaccination now. We are saying once we take this drug, you can never have COVID. And if you have COVID, once you take this drug, in a matter of minutes, you will be bouncing again on your feet. If there is such a scientific breakthrough, and they say only this drug will cure COVID-19. Will you say that is narrow-minded or will you applaud 
the brains behind that discovery. Will you start analyzing that? Oh, how will you say of every possible material in the world, every possible chemical or combination of chemicals is only this ones that makes you immune to COVID-19? You won't analyze it. You will take it without question. And you will be, you will be in the debt of the people who discovered it. And joyfully so, and rightfully so. So how come when it comes to salvation, there has to be a lot of philosophizing as to a variety of ways to attain it? It's not a question of how many ways. It's a question of, is this way true? That is the question. If in truth there is only one way, there is only one way. What do you want to do? People in Africa will likely understand it because in the UK here, there are millions of ways to everywhere. But I mean, where I come from, there are certain places, there's only there's only one road to it. If you want to go from state A to state B, there's only one, one road to it. So what do you do? You don't argue, you take the way if you want to get there. So it's the same thing with salvation. If Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father unless he comes by me. And we look at this Jesus. It's the same Jesus that said, if I didn't do the works that I did before them, then they will have an excuse for their sin. But now I've done the works that no man has ever done before them. So they have no cloak for their sin. This is the same Jesus that said, if you don't believe me for my words, believe me for the works sake. This is the same Jesus that died and rose from the dead. So if somebody who rose from the dead is telling you how to beat death, it will be foolhardy not to listen to him. So if he says he is the only way, why are we arguing about a multiplicity of ways? Why are we philosophizing that there has to be more than one way to salvation? Why is everybody creating their own individual truths? You don't do that with gravity. You don't walk off a building and say your individual truth is that you can walk on the air. You fall down and break your legs and your bones and the doctor will slap you before treating you for your stupidity. All of this just to say it is the one who believes in Jesus Christ that is justified. And this brings us to our third point. And again, this piggybacks off these points we just made. Because for the most part, it's pride that keeps men from coming to Jesus. It's pride that keeps men from believing in God. It's pride that keeps the worldview called atheism afloat. It's pride, nothing else. You say, no, we are the enlightened ones. You know, we know this, we know that. We know They know nothing. Ordinary COVID-19, the whole world is up, upside down. It shows you the limitation of humanity. There has to be something outside, outside of mankind. There has to be something bigger than our world today. The earth is a speck of dust in the universe. You can't tell me all of this order in the universe. This thing we call the Milky Way, the galaxies, the stars, the moon, and everything. That it came from nothing. You have to be arrogant to hold to that worldview. It's pride, nothing else. So it takes humility. Remember, Jesus concluded that parable with he that is that humbles himself will be exalted. He that exalts himself will be humbled. 
It takes humility to recognize you have no righteousness of your own. In a world where everybody says, look, I've done nothing wrong. I'm unapologetically me. I'm this, I'm that. Nobody can judge me and this and that. And it takes humility to know that there is a God far bigger than you and you are indebted to him and subject to his wrath. It takes humility. It takes humility. And note that whether you are humble or not, the facts remain. The facts remain. The only thing is if you remain proud or arrogant about it, then you can't be justified from the harsh reality awaiting you. But it's not God's will that any should perish. So God has desperately sent Christ to be his final sacrifice and an atonement and a reconciliation. But once you refuse this, there's nothing left but wrath. So whether you are humble or you are not humble, the facts of the gospel remain the same. Blessed are the meek, as the beatitude say, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Now, you know, the beatitudes, they are not disjointed random statements. In fact, let's, let's read them so we can expound on that point a bit. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Yeah, right? Yeah, I think the fifth chapter. And seeing the multitudes, he, that is Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, I'll start again because I think some people may think I said pure, but I'm saying poor, P-O-O-R. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they, sh for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 11 goes ahead to say, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kind of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for yours is for great is your reward in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now these are not disjointed statements that are just all over the place. No. And again, I'm just going to give you my own um, opinion on this because um, yeah, I'm always very careful. And we will talk about this when you read the Bible. But if you think 
you've discovered something nobody else before you have discovered that is a potential red flag in bible study because you know you have no idea how much men have read this bible upside down inside out so be very careful with new novel discoveries that nobody else has seen before you know so i'm emphasizing this is my own point of view because to be honest with you it's not something i've i've really seen anywhere before for the most part all or every conclusion i've come to in the bible i see that lots of people before me have come to that conclusion and it you know puts me in good company well again i mean we'll hopefully all things being considered we will do a season on reading the bible and practical christianity and some other things like that hopefully emphasis on hopefully and we would expound on that there. But this is the point I'm making. The Beatitudes represent progressions in the journey of salvation. I repeat, the Beatitudes, they represent progression in the journey of salvation. And I'm just saying all of this to make that point on humility now let's read the beatitudes again blessed are the poor in spirit that's the first step to salvation you realizing you have nothing you have nothing there is nothing you can do by virtue of your separation from god jesus said i'm the true vine you know, he that is in me bears much fruit. And in John 15, 5, he said, For without me, you can do nothing. So your ability outside God, outside a union with God, outside his kingdom, outside the Christ, is nothing. And when you realize that fact, that is the first step to salvation. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know what? This state you are in, it causes you to mourn. Because you see who you are. Amazing grace, how sweet thy sound, that saved a wretch. And again, I'm not saying this to put anybody down. I'm not, I'm not shaming anybody or, you know. It's the reality of humanity. I mean, look at the history books. You see the wars that have been fought. You see inhumane, inhumaneness at its peak. You see a man like Hitler who would kill 6 million people plus without caring, who would bomb entire cities, who would sacrifice even the people in his own army on the altar of pride. You read the history books, you see madmen like Attila the Hun. You see madmen like, uh, what's this guy's name now? Um, this Chinese guy, um, Khan, Genghis Khan. You see what these men did to human beings. You see how they treated people. You go to some countries, you see how people live like kings in the midst of squalor. 
how people are mass billions and keep for their children's children when people are dying in the country. You see the length people go to remain in power. It's a symptom of human wretchedness. No care about your brother. The heart is like stone. That's wretchedness, my friend. And that is a state worth mourning. So having realized you are poor in spirit, it causes you to mourn, and then it humbles you. Blessed are the meek. And note that after meek, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So, immediately after humility, the first reaction is you hunger and thirst after righteousness. And who is this righteousness you test after? It's Jesus. Jesus, the righteous. is in Jesus Christ. Your test and hunger for righteousness is fulfilled. So directly before seeking Christ is a stage of meekness. And then if you want to go further, just to make the well-rounded point, it says, blessed are the merciful. So having gone through all these things yourself, It causes you to be merciful to other people. So when you look at the world, or when you look at an unbeliever, or when you look at somebody who is living a messed up life, you are not looking at it from the standpoint of pride or from the standpoint of being judgmental. You know you yourself are no better. You know you've been there. You know you were once poor in spirit. You know how it costs you to mourn. You know there's potential for humility after that. And once somebody is humble, the person seeks after righteousness and uh, hungers and tests after righteousness. You know all of this. And it causes you to be merciful on others. So you don't judge people no matter how terrible they seem causes you to be merciful and then says blessed are the pure in hearts and now purity in hearts we would that comes by faith anyway remember last season when we when we talked about um acts 15 it said God purified their hearts by faith. Again, more of this would come in when we look at holiness, because we are going to look at two aspects of the two sides to the coin of holiness. We are going to look at the two aspects of the coin of holiness uh, in, in coming episodes. But purity in heart there relates to more of the second facet of holiness, which is, um, I don't, I'm trying to say it without saying it because I can only expound on it properly in the coming episode. But, um, okay, I would make a note to link this back to the Beatitudes. But suffice it to say for now that this is the process of sanctification. This is the process of sanctification where the holiness God has given you, you work it out. You know, this would make sense when we get to that episode. Anyway, I'll just make a note now to tie it back in uh, subsequent episodes. And then after that, you seek, you become like God. It says, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. 
So you become obsessed with God's heart in every situation. You know, so blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then blessed are those who are persecuted. This is now radicalization. You are so radically in love with God, radically in love with the gospel, that you are eager to be persecuted. In fact, it becomes a thing of honor to be persecuted in the name of Christ. Now, again, we are not saying you being stupid and ripping the consequences and you go they are they are persecuting me no we are not saying you you put your head in somebody's car and hold his neck and say accept jesus and then the guy calls the police on you and you say that that is persecution no you know we are talking about you living and thinking and standing up for what god stands up for and if you are persecuted in so doing so be it Paul said, Yea, and all those who live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Will suffer persecution. Jesus said, The servant is not higher than his master, but he that is well trained will be like his master. Peter said, If you suffer for well do, if you suffer for well doing, is is a thing of honor. So you see that stage from being poor in spirit and having nothing to seeking righteousness and getting filled with it, and then to being radical enough to be persecuted for your faith. So, The kingdom of heaven is the property of those who realize their poverty in spirit. And until you realize that, you have not started on the road to humility. And until you are humble, you can't come to Christ. And until you come to Christ, you cannot be justified. That said... I echo the sentiments of Charles Spurgeon in the qualification for justification. And he said, you have all the righteousness that Jesus requires, none at all. Let me cross-check that quote. I know I wrote it down somewhere. You have all the righteousness that Christ requires, none at all. Yeah, you have all the fitness that Christ requires. None at all. And that perfectly sums up what we've been talking about. So Jesus does not require you to be fit before coming to him to be justified. You know, the, you've heard the most classic cliche. You can never be too dirty to have a bath. The dirtier you are, the more important it is you have a bath. And as in having a bath, you become clean. You are never too unfit to go to the gym. It is in going to the gym you become fit. The gym is not necessarily for the fittest people. You know, in as much as, yes, there are some absolute psychos out there that just love the gym and all of that jazz. You know, but 
there's some there's there's uh there's something for everybody in the gym and interestingly that's how salvation is as well if you are just starting in the gym there's something for you if you are just uh i mean and for the most part the first time you go into a gym you are not fit at all and it's the same thing with coming to christ but the fitter you become through exercises and all of that the more you like going there and it becomes an addiction sometimes you go to the gym you see people doing some kind of heavy lifting and you go are they crazy same thing also in the kingdom you see people who are so addicted to christ they are going to where they will behead them if they know they are preaching the gospel and you are thinking are these guys mad no they've just been at the gym longer than you are but just the way you have to start somewhere at the gym you have to start somewhere with christ just the way you don't need to be fit to go to the gym you don't need to be clean to come to christ come as you are jesus said he that comes to me i will in no wise cast out there's no reason he's going to turn you back he came for you he came to serve you with his life on the altar and this is not blasphemy. He said it himself. He said the Son of Man did not come to be saved, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if he came to save you, why will he turn you away? A restaurant that says, come in, we are open. If you go in there, they don't tell you, get out. They told you to come in. They are open. They are ready to serve you. Well, provided you can pay. <laughs> But in this case, thank God it's on the house because God has paid the price. God has provided himself a lamb, as we said in the previous episode. So Jesus justifies the one who has no fitness, who has no righteousness of his own and realizes that. Jesus justifies the one who comes to him And Jesus justifies the meek. As it is written, the meek will he guide in judgment. The meek will he teach his way. I believe that's 25 verse 9 of uh, Psalms. So in summary, or in conclusion rather, you cannot be justified without Christ. Remember, the defense of justification is a legal one. And Christ is that legal defense from God's wrath. Because it is in him and in his cross and in his sufferings we have been punished. And it is in him and his resurrection from the death, from the dead rather, that we have been absolved from liability to God's wrath. Outside Christ, the wrath remains. John 3.36. John 
He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Abides in Greek, meno, to remain on him. To remain on him. So it's in Christ that wrath is taken away. It takes the meek to recognize that he has done something wrong. And that he is ungodly. It takes the meek to recognize he has no ability to right the wrong. And it is such a person who comes to Christ. And it is such a person Christ justifies. So the door is open at this point in time. The door is open, my friends. Come and be justified. I read from Isaiah. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. I'm just going to... I mean, we've officially finished the topic, but... Just going to read truckload of invitations because it seems at times in the Bible that there is such a desperation in the heart of God to see man saved. Such a desperation because of his love for mankind. Isaiah 55. Somebody is thinking, oh, if he loves mankind so much, how come he sends them to hell? Well, that's why you should watch or you should listen to the, to the episode, What the Hell? As the name of the episode, I think is the ninth episode of the first season. You can watch that and we analyze and reconcile the love of God to hellfire. Alternatively, if you go on Medium, you can read some of my articles there. One of them is uh, uh, how do, how will a loving God send people to hell or something along those lines. And you could read that. To answer your questions. Isaiah 55. 1 to 3. Who? Everyone who tests. Come to the waters. And you who have no money. Come. Buy and eat. Yes. Come. Buy milk. Buy wine and milk. Without money. And without price. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. And eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear to me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Hear and your soul will live. Hear and your soul will live. Does that sound like what Jesus said in John 5 at the time is coming? Those who are dead will hear the voice of the Son of Man and those who hear will live. John, 7th chapter. John 7th chapter, 37 verse. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone tests, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, 
out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The invitation again is come. The invitation is what? Come. Matthew 22. Mm, yeah, I think it's 22. This is the parable of a king that had prepared a feast. And what does he say? Four to five. Again, he sent out servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. Come to the wedding. Come to the wedding. Come. Second Corinthians six. Second Corinthians six. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I've heard you. In the day of salvation I've helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today is that day of salvation, my friends. This period we are in, which the Bible calls today, is the day of salvation. This is the era of salvation. A time is coming when it will be too late, my friends. But this is the time to come. Finally, Revelation 22. And if I have one wish, I honestly wish that on earth, my last words will be me quoting Revelation 22, 17 to 21. That is my wish. I really want those to be my last words on earth. What does it say? And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who tests, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. 22.17 of Revelation. Come. Come, my friends. Come. Come and be justified. Come and have eternal life. God has killed his dinner. He has made ready the feast. His son has been slain. And on that altar of that slain son, we can have relationship with him. All that is required is for you to come. Don't let your pride stand between you and coming. Come, my friend. Come. Come.